0: Welcome. My name is Eddie Arrieta. This is Fulfilling Work Life. We intend to talk to leaders, professionals, remoters, human beings from all around the world who share with us their knowledge. Join me in this daily journey. And we are officially live. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us today. You're Welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh- I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and do what I do every day, uh, you, which is to make sure I get my, my proper reading done. So I'm going to uh, read for everyone who is uh, listening to this uh, on the live stream or later on whatever, whatever one of our channels you have chosen to listen to this. But Jeremy Kearney is the founder and CEO of Preemptive Love, a global organization providing relief, jobs, and community to end the war. His newest book, Love Anyway, casts a bold vision on how we can heal all that's tearing us apart. Jeremy is a sought-after speaker and authority on peacemaking, conflict resolution, and the integration of activism, spirituality, and leadership. He lives with his family in Iraq. Jeremy, uh, I I think I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to have this conversation, so thank you so much. Yeah, once again, I've said it like four times already, but thank you so much for joining us yeah i'm
1: I'm thrilled let's get into it
0: yes uh, so so one of the things that that really caught my attention uh especially with on, on what you're doing and what the book is going to be about which i'm hoping to to read very soon um is, is that idea of uh that there are things that are breaking us there are things that are tearing us apart that there are things that distance us from um the people even that we love uh, yesterday i was having a conversation with uh, an amazing founder from mexico uh francisco Velandia, and francisco was mentioning how uh he sees in his life that he he's a juggler and that he's got some uh, um uh some 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 of those uh, balls that he's juggling with are made out of crystal, and and to him th- that's his family, and and he tries to be very careful because one if you break any of those, it would take such a long time to like bring those pieces together, and maybe you will never have it as as it was at the very beginning. So I'm very interested in understanding from your perspective what are some of the things that you believe uh, are tearing us apart, and and how do you see the landscape?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I think on on some levels, um, it depends on where our friends are tuning in from right now. Like on your streets in your country, it might feel like something very unique to you. You know, like the Colombian struggle is the Colombian struggle. It's not the Venezuelan struggle. It's it's something unique and special. Um, on the other hand, when you when you pull back from it a lot, and you can you can look in many places, and you have Experience or work in many places, you start to see patterns. So things aren't the same. Uh, the, the Colombian reality and the Iraqi reality; those are those are different things. And up close, they look like very distinct political conflicts or economic realities or whatever. But when you pull back, they, they do tend to look very similar. Um, there's there's conversations about I I. I like to boil it all down to this notion, and probably not everything fits in this, but it's a, it's a good way to get started. The maps that we are using, the old paper maps that you fold up and put in your car or you know your back pocket, the maps that our parents used, the maps that their parents used, they don't seem to be working very well for us today. and all across the world, what we are essentially doing is we are deciding how to redraw the maps. We are trying to decide are the maps that our parents gave us, the the previous generations, the ancestors, the elders, are the maps that they gave us, are they like holy scripture
2: or are they wholly wrong, entirely wrong? Um, And or, or is it somewhere
1: in between the two? And so you've got some activists on one side who are like, burn it all down, burn the maps up. They're trash. They were they were created by bad people in a bad time and we've got to move on. And then you got kind of activists or defenders on the other side who are saying, no, protect the maps. Those those are our heritage. Those Those are holy or they're sacred in some sense. You can't touch. The, the constitution, you can't touch our religious texts, you can't touch a lot of things, you know? Um, I think a lot of what we're dealing with boils down to that. Those, those are kind of what we're up against right now. Um, how, how can you be a person of faith when your faith and your reality looks so different than what your parents went through? How can you be a person of faith when we know so much more about the world and we're exposed to so many other people who either espouse no faith or they're from a different faith or whatever. The world has come crashing in on us through Facebook. Hi, Facebook. And it's it's in some ways exposed us to a lot of new things. And in some ways, Facebook is closing us off. So we only hear algorithmically from the people who are like us. Um, so faith, I think, is the big one. Politics uh, in general is a big one. Should we trust the government? Should we not trust the government? Do we want a disruptor to come in or do we want a little bit more of the way things used to be? Those are big things that are tearing us apart. Um, you know, Across the world, economics is driving us further and further and further apart. So the rich are getting richer and richer and richer and richer. And you're kind of losing a lot of that middle class that we we used to have in certain parts of the world. Uh, sexuality and gender and things like that are tearing us apart um, as, but a lot of that comes back to faith and how you, how you understand your faith and whether you have a, a framework or a map for integrating or opposing some of those ideas or not, how other people express their life and live their life. Those are Those are three major, major things that I see, three or four major things that I see common across the world right now
0: and it's very interesting because you you, you keep coming back to these ideas of, of faith and 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 you know one could say spirituality some others could say you know your your frameworks they could put different names to it is, is there a particular reason why why you you refer to it as 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 faith and and you know those core beliefs that people even if they are not aware of it that they still hold true to to what they do
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, look the way the way things are set
1: up right now, whichever word you choose kind of signals something about you, and the other side already thinks they know exactly what you're saying because you use
0: that word.
1: Um, hey, let me check in here. Is our is our signal coming through okay? Because
0: it looks like it may be breaking it, up. So we it, all right? It, bro- it broke up a little bit, but but everything the audio came through. Uh, I think okay. I think you can go ahead. It, it looks so oh. fluid now.
1: I'll keep plowing through. So, you know, for one side, if you say faith, they think, oh, that's a a very religious person. For another side, you say spirituality, and they think, oh, that's that's not one of our kind of people. Like, these words in and of themselves start to signal something. The reason I say faith is because, and I I don't say it exclusively, and I'm not like, I'm not going to fight about it. But I, I think the reason I say it is because it starts to remind me Everyone is a person of faith, and I think faith signals something a little different than spiritual. I think everyone is spiritual, as well. Um, but faith helps me remember that on some level, we're all just guessing. We're all just believing. We're all just trying. We're all just reaching. And it, and it, whether you think you're certain or whether you think the other side is totally wrong, there's so many things where we don't know. We don't know if we reform our government, if it's gonna get us a whole new way of life. We don't don't know if we make twice the money that we're making right now, if everything will turn out all right. We don't know if the things our parents told us or the ancestors told us were 100% accurate. We don't know if the things we're teaching our kids are right. I mean, we move through this life on faith. And I find it important to just put it on the table and say, hey, let me be humble and honest about this. I'm making my best guess here. I'm educated, I'm, I'm smart, I'm, I'm trying to be honest, but at the end of the day, I'm making a guess here and I'm walking out on, on faith as we, as we say in English.
0: And and that's very interesting because it, it's 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 super similar and and I think in so, talking language, it, it's, I think it's important. I think I agree with you uh, significantly on that. The, the, the choice of words uh, that we have uh, makes makes a significant difference in, in how people perceive what we're saying and how people understand what we are saying. Now, to make sure that, that, that we're all on kind of like the same understanding, uh, I'm getting that that for you, faith is, is something, something that entails the, the humility of understanding that you don't know it all and that despite all certainties that you might think you have, you're still uh, moving across life uh, on, on faith. You're still moving across life without really being very certain. Now, th- there there is still a, a difference because there are some that uh, might say, no, actually, I'm very certain about what I'm doing. Actually, I, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and and that that separates a, 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 a number of people that that understand faith as uh, from that perspective of humility versus those that might not even think that they are a person of faith uh, and, and I'm using of course trying to use your concept uh, as much as that so for for you how, how would you how would you help conceptualize the concept of faith um, uh, you know a little bit more so so that we can get a little bit deeper into what is faith than for Jeremy Curdy.
2: Um, I think again. I'm not. I'm not super dogmatic about trying to defend the word faith. Let me, rather
1: than answer your question exactly how you framed it, let me kind of turn us in a slightly different direction that I that's still related. Um, I how I think about faith, spirituality. Whatever angle you want to come at that, humility itself on some levels, growth, development, I think all those words apply, is at its best, it is like a seed unfolding that gives rise to a seed unfolding, that gives rise to a seed unfolding. And so on some level, the next thing always has the potential inside it to birth an even bigger thing to birth an even bigger thing, to birth an even bigger thing. And, and, And it all is encapsulated in the original thing. So roll back to the science, which was a faith of sorts, the science of hundreds and hundreds of years ago. That science got a lot of stuff wrong. It got a lot of stuff right. And it gave birth to the next generation of science which got a lot wrong and got a lot right, which gave birth to an ever-expanding and ever-expansive way of moving through the world. So too with Christianity, so too with Islam, so too with a lot. The old stuff gives birth to new stuff, gives birth to new stuff, gives birth to new stuff. And I, I believe that's the most helpful way to relate to it. But I recognize that's not the way everyone relates to it a lot of people take great comfort in looking to the past and saying look the book says this so i believe this and there's nothing to be discussed about it that is a kind of seed that gave birth to one thing and got stuck in my opinion it it stopped realizing the fullness of all the power that was inside it. The power that was inside it would have, could allow it to grow yet another generation out, yet another generation out from that. And so our development, our progress, our faith or our spirituality, I don't, I don't really care what words you use, but I think it, it has so much potential to continue to unfold, to continue to open us up to new things, new ways, new people. And at its best, I think it is a, it's a framework for life that helps us continually increase our capacity for care and inclusion. That's an important phrase to me. I say it all the time. That's, that's why it sounds so clean and rehearsed. Increase our capacity for care and inclusion increase our capacity for care and inclusion. Hey, look, if your, if your capacity to care for people who are different than you is right here right now, cool. I get that. I understand that. I'd love to know where you came from, where your family came from. What did they believe? What did they practice? How did you get to that level? And what are the, what are the factors that kind of put a lid on your capacity to care for people who are different than you and include people who are different than you, what's it gonna cost you? What what would it cost you to include people who were really different than you? And what I've seen through my own life and others is as, as we push into those hard places, as we push ourselves to the brink of what we think is possible, as we experience trauma, sometimes it gives birth to a new thing. And it's like the whole world opens up to us and the ceiling rises on what we're capable of. And now in this next generation of our, our life or this next season of our life, our whole capacity has grown. I call that spirituality, some people call it faith, whatever. Um, but I, I don't think it's meant to stop. I, I think it, it's meant to be a continual bloom
0: and, and and I really, I find it very, 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 very interesting because the, the more you talk about it, the more it reminds me of, and, and when you mentioned it, 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 the word was already resonated in my head, which is the frameworks. Uh, and, and that framework is, is, is very very attractive to a lot of people because many today are especially in entrepreneurship and and, and of course, I understand that, that the audience and most of those that listen to this like later on throughout the podcast, you know what they are thinking is it it sounds a lot like when we bring a startup founder or when we bring a remote worker, and they are starting talking about what is my framework, what is the framework that allows me to do X, Y, and Z, and it's not about that—that that you have everything mapped out, but it's that you have a framework that allows you, kind of like a lens, that allows you to see uh, right beyond. And and we we have talked in, in this show about first principles in in different scenarios, and then when you start thinking about you know your definition and, and like where the definition is coming from, it's talking about what is it then that allows for you to look at the world in a way that, now taking, taking your word, increases your capacity to care and include others right? And, and I love to understand a little bit more about the elements that allowed for that framework to work. What are some of the things that you think will increase someone's capacity to care for others and also be more inclusive in the way they approach what they do in the day-to-day life?
2: Yeah,
1: so let me, let me roll back to the beginning of the story and let me give kind of an anchoring uh, like an anchoring narrative of who I am and what I'm doing and where I'm coming from on this. So I'll try and make it short. I, I moved away from the United States shortly after the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. In that time, I would say my capacity to care and include people who were different than me was, was here. It was really low. I had love in my life. But it had a lid on it. It could only go so high. And I gave all the love I knew how to give to the world. But, but I had a lid on it. And the lid was my politics, my worldview, my age, my experience, my, my faith, religion, spirituality. All of that was, was creating a lid on my life. So I lived as much love as I knew how to give. I gave love all the way.
2: But it had a lid on it. What that looked like for me um, was a, I was a very
1: toxic person in many ways. I was aggressive. I tried to make people like me. I tried to make people the way I am. I I tried to make them into my kind of religion. I tried to argue them into my kind of politics. I tried to argue them and make them be almost everything like me. I ended up moving to Iraq with my family uh, in the middle of the Iraq war. So we had seen the way that Muslims were being denigrated in the United States context. You know, a lot of stuff became anti-Muslim after September 11th. And I was starting to change on that. We ended up moving into Iraq in the middle of the Iraq war. I had had a profound kind of unfolding, awakening type experience. We move into Iraq in the middle of the Iraq war, and we, we just wanted to help. We, we didn't, I had opened up, my, my, my ceiling had gone from here to hear. And I had all this new ground for love to try and express and figure out. And so I started spending it in Iraq. I started going to hard places. I started going where other people wouldn't go. I started loving people that I felt like other others wouldn't love. I pressed in to the pain that was war. I moved toward groups like Al- Al-Qaeda. Um, I moved toward the, the no-go zones like Fallujah that, that no one would go too hardly. And the more I did, the more scared I was, the more I thought I was going to lose my life and the more amazing opportunities and insights opened up to me. I met people who were drastically different than me and it turned out we were so much the same, you know, we started saving kids lives all across the country. We, we got approached by this one family who needed a life-saving surgery. They'd urged us, begged us to, to help them. And we, we helped their child. And after we helped their child, more and more families just started coming out everywhere. And so we started helping children all across Iraq get life-saving surgeries. And when we were at the height of that, working with the prime minister, president, parliamentarians, sheikhs, tribal leaders, governors all across the country, every ethnicity, every politic, religion, sect, ISIS springs on the scene, overruns a third of the country after overrunning a third of Syria, and destroys all of our surgery work, destroys hospitals, tanks the Iraqi economy, displaces 3 million people. And we have to pivot from a business standpoint, entrepreneurial standpoint. We basically have to shut everything down, pivot everything over into emergency relief, and we just start helping people on the front lines of war, front lines of conflict. And we start providing them food and relief and medicine. And we start providing them jobs. How, how can we build businesses, rebuild economies, rebuild communities, and, and rebuild trust among people who are being torn apart? And that led me into a whole new, that, that experience opened up a whole new life for me. It, it, it awakened me to something. And my ceiling on love went up. And now I have all this new capacity to, like, stretch and roam and spar and try things. And that led us to the front lines of places like Mosul and Aleppo and Raqqa. And we've been shot at. We've been on the verge of being kidnapped. We've been bombed. We've been, as a team, on the front lines of some really horrible and harrowing situations. And we've gotten to be a part of saving a lot of lives. And so I think all of this taken together has resulted in a, a perspective now when I look back on it all. And I don't, I don't shame that person that was only able to love at this level. And I don't shame that person that was only able to love at this level. I understand that, that guy with all that arrogance and all that machismo and all that you gotta be like me that guy carried me to the edge of Iraq. If that guy wouldn't have been brave enough and young enough and naive enough and cocky enough to, to carry me to the edge of Iraq, we would never be here today. But but when he when he did those things, he opened up. He gave birth to a new guy, you know, that that guy. And that guy started pressing into new stuff. And I don't shame that guy that he could only do this or love this way or have these business ideas or this business acumen and capacity. He gave birth to to the next level. And so I I start to see it all now as a more integrated journey, an integrated whole. And since I've learned to be kind with myself and I've learned to not shame my former self, it's helped me learn to not shame others. I I don't shame Jorge or Ahmed or Billy, who's still living at this level, why would I? I know that guy. I love that guy. I see what that guy's capable of. That guy's capable of this. And that guy's capable of giving birth to this. So I want to honor the whole journey. And I want to help people integrate their whole journey and say, wherever you are, it's okay, And wherever you are, you're not done. It's not enough.
0: And, and and I love that because it's it, it talks about potential. Like every time, every time uh, the 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 concept the concept uh, comes, it like I, I remind rem, reminds me of what you were just mentioning. Like it gives birth to these and that and, and and the other things. And it, it it's almost talking always about about potential and the potential for for. And I I don't want to. To put words in your mouth, uh, uh, but but the self improvement, and I know that in in other in other moments in this show, others have come and said, you know, it is very important to come from that place of humility. Always, it, it's it, it doesn't matter if they are talking spirituality or religion or business or whatever it is. It always comes back to that first principle of of humility. It comes back to the first principle of. Perhaps you don't know it all. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps you, 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 and and I don't want to say as good as because it's not about that. It's not that you're not good. It's not that you're not. No, no, no. It's not about. It's about the potential that you have. Now it, it becomes it becomes hard uh, for some to understand. Um, I, I I I don't I don't believe anyone wants to be a bad person i i I really don 't believe that i think I think we want to be good, I think we want to be noble, I think we want uh, to make change I think we want to impact positively. But sometimes, because of what you're mentioning, given our context, our age, uh, our our uh, our culture, our country, the weather, uh, I, I've noticed recently. I, I just moved to my hometown again, and, and it's very hot in here. And 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 I'm I'm a, on edge mostly <laughs> when I'm in, a, in the cold environment. I'm just calm uh, for some reasons. So I'm trying to at least have some water and then have the, the the fan on just to make sure that that I keep those emotions in control. Uh, but 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 still we want to be good um what what are some of the things that you could say to 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 those that are uh listening to this right now and i always believe i'm always super grateful to everyone that tunes in on on facebook or zoom or listens to this later i believe there is always uh, things happen for a reason and and we always talk about here about um optimizing for serendipity and finding answers that could be valuable for us so uh, is there anything that you could tell us um uh, about you know our ability to to look into the potential that we have uh, to to be better to be good to tap into that actual potential of loving more even uh, if 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 we believe even if we believe today that we love a lot <laughs> um, is is there is there any I'm not gonna say is there any but I'm gonna say it is there any hope for us to love more uh, uh, and and to care more for for the people what 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 and how could we do? Uh, uh, to, to be able to move in the right direction?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Here's, I, I do think there is something formulaic about it. Formulaic in this case doesn't mean if you do it,
1: you are guaranteed to get these results. And it doesn't mean if you don't do it, there's no chance you will get these results. It's a probability metric. And I I think if you do what I'm about to tell you and do it again and do it again and do it again, there is a greater chance that you will see the kind of continual unfolding that I talked about. And I think it can all be summed up in this way. And and I'll use my story as an example, but I think I am just one, my family is just one of an entire history of stories that we all know very well. And it goes like this, you
2: have to leave home and you have to take as little baggage possible with you. What do I mean by leave home? You have to leave what's familiar. If you don't leave what's familiar, at some point you will hit a ceiling and you'll stop. For many of us, it corresponds nicely with the age
1: 18 to 22. Somewhere in those years, many of us, increasingly in the world, we leave home in some capacity. We go off to work, we go off to university, And we experience things without our parents' protection, without our parents telling us how we're supposed to feel about them, without our parents saving the day, without our parents knowing what we're doing. And that process of leaving home is often, for many of us, our first awakening, our first opening up to something very, very new. Now, what happens next is really important. Do you stay in that place? Or do you go do something else new? Do you keep challenging yourself? Or do you just settle in? Do you go back home? And when you go back home, this is, if you're familiar with the notion of the hero's journey, um, part of the hero's journey, as you kind of go around this wheel, part of the notion is that the hero always goes back home. One of the English language epics that a lot of us uh, relate this to is like Lord of the Rings, for example, or something like that. Um, but there's a lot of hero's journeys that you could follow. But in Lord of the Rings, Frodo, the hero, the main guy, he leaves the village, leaves the Shire. He goes out, he finds this this magical element, and eventually he brings it back home. How you come back home, and what message you come back home with, that kind of defines what happens next. Does home reject you? Does home accept you? And do you live at home rejected? Do you conform back to the ways of home? Or does it launch you out again into the world with a new kind of energy, a new kind of discovery? And, and it kind of can become a cyclical thing that you just do over and over and over again. And if, if we get lucky, it's kind of an, an upward cycle. You know, you just keep, you keep growing and going. You have to leave home. And you have to take as little baggage with you as possible. If any of us have ever backpacked across the world or traveled with a suitcase across the world or moved to another place in a small car or on an airplane, like at some point you run out of space and you can only take what you can take. Let's use the backpack analogy. If I, if I put on my backpack and I go to some of the most amazing places in the world with a full backpack, And the people there offer me generosity after generosity after generosity. But I just keep pointing my backpack and I'm like, nah, man, I'm sorry. Bags full. I can't take all this kindness. I can't take your cheese. I can't take your handmade shoes. I can't take your clothing. I'm sorry, bags full. Then we're going to miss out on a lot of stuff, not just goods, but it's a metaphor. If you go out into the world with your bag full, you know all the right ideas, you know how government's supposed to work, you know how family's supposed to work, you know politics, you know business. If you know it all and your bag's full, when people try to hand you wisdom, when people try to hand you insights, when people try to show you another way of doing it, you're gonna be like, Nah, man, for my case, you know, I got this, I filled this bag up when I was 18 years old, white, Christian guy from Texas, I I can't receive anything else. Then I could do that whole trip around the sun and come back home with my same bag. And the fact that I left home, it might not matter at all. In fact, it might make me more convinced that all the stuff in my bag is all the right stuff. I went out, I saw the world, I didn't need any of it. I didn't need anything they had to offer. Everything I need is right here. So leaving home is not the only thing. You have to leave room in your bag to pick up the wisdom and the experiences and the the definitions that other people want to give you. Faith, sexuality, gender, politics, business. All of it it can inform us and change us if we leave room for it.
0: And, and that's a very beautiful analogy because I, it, we've talked here, in fact, about um, digital nomadism. And some of the things that digital nomads uh, have come to tell us about is when they travel, uh, they are very open to new experiences, new perspectives, and what they can absorb. And, and part of that conversation has also been there there was a movement pre covid of course pre covid 19 there was this 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 inclination from a lot of professionals around the world to spend their money traveling and and part of the discussion we were having is yeah a lot of people are traveling but how many people are um becoming wiser because of the travels how many people are really going to these places and opening up or are they just going as if they are going to an amusement park they just go to a new they just go you know they they jump on a plane for 16 hours but it it doesn't matter they could have done it like 10 minutes away from their home because they went with their backs full and I love that analogy because it, it also talks about your ability to to really be attentive to what is going on around to the signals that you are getting to the voices that that are telling you truths that perhaps only you can can hear and 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 there are voices that tell you tell tell you all the time are you listening are you listening are you listening and perhaps you are not listening
1: that that makes me think of the story for me that got this all started i was sitting in a cafe in iraq Height of the Civil War. So many people told us, don't go there. You're going to die on day one. I'm sitting in this cafe. I've been going to this cafe day after day after day after day. It it was like my office, basically. Because the whole city was uh, getting like an hour of electricity a day. Three hours of electricity a day, if you were lucky. But this hotel had a generator. And so a lot of foreigners like me, if there were any, and uh, some locals, we we would go, the ambassadors and stuff like that. And then the locals would go to this hotel and we would drink chai and try to work on our business stuff, whether it was aid, NGO stuff or political or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to my office basically at this cafe in a hotel. And one day this guy approaches me and asks if I can help his cousin. needs a life-saving heart surgery and he he worked at the cafe which means he was there the day before which means he was there the day before that which means he was there the day before that and the day before that and on that day i don't know what it was did i smile different did i smell better did i seem more open and kind and approachable But on that day, many days into our relationship or our familiarity with one another, he took a chance to ask me, would you save my cousin's life? She was born with a huge hole in her heart. And after all these decades of war and sanctions, there's not a hospital or a surgeon left who can save her life. You're an American, you're here in my cafe right now. Would you save my cousin's life? And in that
2: moment, I had an opportunity to listen, to really listen, to really hear, or to just react.
1: And the reaction was, no, I can't help your your cousin. I don't know anything about this. And that's in fact what I did. I said, no. I said, "I, I don't know anything about this, man. I'm sorry, I don't think I'm your guy. But he pressed in, and he helped me see You've got more power, Mr. Jeremy,
2: than you realize. You're not like one of us. You can call George W. Bush on the phone and get it done. And he
1: actually believed in me and my power and my agency and my potential, to use your word,
2: more than I did. And and he was listening. He was listening to my insecurity. He was listening to my insecurity. He was
1: listening to my fear. And he called it out in a, in a positive way. He said, no, man, don't, don't be afraid. Come forward with me. Because if you come forward with me, you could save a child's life. And so we did. We both kind of brokered a, a, a way of listening to each other just enough, just a little bit. And what helping that one little girl led to, we went on to save thousands of kids' lives with life-threatening surgeries. And then ISIS came in, and we went on to help millions of people's lives across Iraq, Syria, Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, the United States, like all because in that one exchange, that one moment, I listened a little bit to him, and he listened to me. So, man, that's, that's so good. Like we gotta, we gotta be present enough. And when the word comes, what are we gonna do with it? We're going to take a risk, take a chance on each other, or just, go? no, nah, man, I don't think that's for me. I don't think I'm the right guy.
0: And and, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful because th- those words are there, and we just have to really be paying attention. We really have to pay attention. I have a question from Sandra that I think is very important. Uh, Here's, hola, señorito. Uh, my apologies. He's, he's requesting my my help. There he goes. Uh, <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, so Sandra is asking a question, uh, and she says, "I would like to know what motivated you to start preemptive love. Where does the name come from? Why did you choose to go and leave? Well, that's a lot of questions. Let's let's start with the let's start with the name. of uh, um, uh, uh, preemptive love. Where, where does it come from?
1: Yeah, the the name is kind of a uh, a play or a, an undercutting of a a reality that the world and Iraq in particular was living through in the wake of 2001. Uh, George W. Bush led a retaliation against the Taliban in Afghanistan for what Al Qaeda did. And that slowly morphed into retaliation, so-called, you could probably just call it retaliation. It was preemptive. It was a first strike on Iraq Um, But the story was that we were getting them back for what they had done to us. That was part of the story or what they were going to do to us. And basically the argument became we have to get them before they get us or before they get us again. Um, And one of the the phrases that was used a lot at that time was we don't want to see the smoking gun. We don't want the smoking gun to be a, a nuclear cloud basically. And so we were all sold on this idea that we have to, we have a moral obligation to hit first. And if we don't hit first, they are going to hit us. They are going to kill us. So we must kill them first. And I, along with many Iraqi friends, have gone on to live the last 15 years of my life in the wake of that decision, in the in the aftermath of that mentality. And you know, the United States and Iraq are not the only two bodies in the world who have been in this kind of struggle. We all are potentially a part of groups that feel like I have to do something to you to protect myself first. And in some cases it's probably more justified than others. And so we were trying to turn that phrase on its head. I, I came to believe it was immoral. I came to believe it was wrong. And I wanted to see if there was a different way to live. Rather than me get you before you get me, which didn't seem to be working in Iraq for the Americans. What if I could love you before you loved me? Or what if I could love you before you, got, you, you get me, you, know, you attack me? Is love a powerful enough force to disarm us and transform us? And if you don't think love is a powerful enough force to transform, then what's your suggestion? What, what is the alternative power that is strong enough to transform enemies into friends? Because in my experience, bombs, bullets, Sanctions regimes, bluster, tweeting, screaming and yelling. These things do not transform
2: enemies into friends. They don't transform hatred into kindness. They, they, they have a place in the overall conversation, no doubt. But I still believe the strongest force on the planet with the power to change a nation is preemptive love
0: that is fantastic i i i I do i do agree um i think one of the things that i've seen from my experience in colombia is how love de-escalated uh we we had a we had an amazing movement and momentum when we signed a peace treaty uh with with FARC uh for those that don't know FARC is is the um like one 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 of the revolutionary armies that was fighting uh the Colombian government for the past what 50 70 years uh and of course it's it's a very complex situation but we made the step of doing what you were mentioning Jeremy Preemptive love. Uh, a lot of people said we don't care, right? Because what happens in conflict, and I only took one course in, in college on conflict, uh, that, that talked about the escalations of conflict. That is, you do something, then I get you back, and then you get me back, and then all you get that Christmas tree. Uh, because we are all trying to get one each other back. And and I've seen it in my personal life when we have revenge, because you said this to me, and I'm gonna say that to you. And my son did this to me. So now I want to talk to you because you did that to me and that's that is not love (laughs) that is that is that is revenge Uh, and 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 what i've noticed in my personal life is the moment where you let go of those things you let go of the of the desire and the temptation to get that person back then you're open to 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 preemptive love right Uh, and and i love that uh and i love to understand a little bit more about how, how you've seen it in like in conflict, right? In, in, in the real world of conflict, what preemptive love has done for the communities that you have worked with?
2: Yeah, I, I think the best place for me to direct
1: people would be um, to my book, because I took great pains to tell thorough stories in that book of other people doing this well. Um, Preemptive love's not my idea. It's not an American idea. It's, it's something that really belongs to all of us. And I, I've tried to pull those characters and those stories uh, out of my life and out of our community and, and really center them and feature them in my book, which is called Love Anyway. The book is called Love Anyway, um, which is the notion of saying, you know, essentially the world. So this idea started for us saying love first, ask questions later. That's, that's the notion of preemptive love. Love first, ask questions later. And that, that reached a ceiling, to go back to that language. I, I got to a point where I didn't want to love first, ask questions later anymore. It got too hard. It got too scary. It got too complicated. It got too difficult. And at that point, a friend in my life challenged me and said, after all we've been through, after all we've built, after all we've done, are you just going to walk away Are you going to press in and learn to love anyway? Yes, the world is scary. Yes, conflict is hard. Yes, it's messy. Yes, you might lose your life. Love anyway. It's not the naive, cheap thing that maybe you thought it was, Jeremy, when you first said it at 27 years old. But don't throw it out. Take it to the next level. So... The stories in that book are the best exemplification, I think, and and rather than try and cram them into just a couple minutes here, I I would just want to commend you to the friends and the community and the the groups represented in that book, because I think they have something to teach us, and I'm honored to be on their side in this.
0: Thank you so much, Jeremy. I have put uh, the link in the chat for you guys to see it. I'll put it also on the show notes to make sure that you all uh, get the link where you can actually get uh, the book Love Anyway, which is on Amazon. Uh, there is also an audio version for those of you that uh, enjoy uh, the, the audio part of it. Uh, uh, Jeremy, I think we've come uh, to to uh the end of the show uh i really appreciate your time i really appreciate you sharing with us uh you know your notions on 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 love and and the transformative power it might have and it can have actually in in our world is there is there anything that you would uh like us to 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 think about or any place that you would like us to send uh uh, our thoughts to or any place where you'll say hey go here this is where we're working if you want to participate or collaborate or whatever uh I, 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 this is it's the space to do that.
1: Yeah. If uh, let me say two things. One, if you don't love reading or you just don't feel like you have the time to sit down with a couple hours of a book, I would strongly commend you to a documentary film that we made. We made it short. It's thirty minutes long. It's also called Love Anyway. It is. It's different than the book. It is different. So if you watch one or the other, they are, are different. But they cover very similar terrain. Um, if you've got 30 minutes, the documentary is a great way to understand more of what we do at Preemptive Love, why we do it, and how you could be a part of that. If, if you don't already have in your life, if you don't already have in your giving portfolio an organization that's working to end war, I would love to have you be part of what we're doing, this community together. Um, so the documentary film, Love Anyway. you can go to loveanyway.com, find the film, loveanyway.com, find the book, All that's available there. The organization is called Preemptive Love. And I would love for you to consider being a monthly donor to what we're doing. If you watch the film, you read the book, or this already connects with you, we're working on the front lines of some of the hardest conflicts in the world. And we're rebuilding communities, and we do it all in a peacemaking framework that I've spent a lot of time here kind of expounding upon. And you would be hard-pressed to find another organization, another movement that you can belong to that has that tangible front lines relief, long-term economic development, and does it all in a comprehensive framework that is constantly about increasing our capacity for care and inclusion. Meaning, you belong. And your neighbor that annoys you so much, they also belong. And your parents who see things different than you, they also belong. And your kids who are way more progressive than you are, they also belong. This is what it's going to take to heal the things that are tearing us apart is to have a cooperative framework, a side-by-side model that allows us to do things together in spite of and through our differences. So I would love for you to consider signing up to be a monthly donor at preemptivelove.org. Monthly donors make our world go round. They help us show up on the front lines. They help us rebuild communities and economies, and they help us continue this peacemaking work that we do around the world. So we'd love for you to join us as a monthly donor at preemptivelove.org. Thanks.
0: Jeremy, thank you so much. And I really hope that uh, the efforts that we're going to do of releasing this content to our entire community can also help uh, in- increase the awareness on-, on what you guys are doing. I-, I think I think now what I have left to do is watch the documentary, get the book uh, and read it. Uh, and potentially, of course, if you guys are getting the book, uh, leave a review. If you watch the documentary, leave some comments and share it with people that, that-, that might in, be interested in in helping uh, on on what uh, Jeremy Kearney and and, and team are doing. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us today. Thanks, man. Appreciate it so much, Eddie. Cheers. all right everyone thank you so much uh, see you tomorrow once again 9 a.m see you tonight at 7 p.m for the version in espanol um of this show but i'm super grateful once again and always for uh, your time and i really hope you have a fantastic day a fantastic afternoon and night for you uh jeremy and your family uh, uh, lots of love uh for everyone uh see you all soon bye bye Thank you for listening and remember to share, like and comment if this content brought value to your life. You can find us on social media as We Are Torre. Explore more content at blog.torre.co. See you around.